Well, shalom everyone. This is Dr. Dina Dye here, and I am flying solo tonight. My compatriot Jeff is uh, hes up to some career advancement opportunities. So uh, he's doing a webinar tonight, and he has left me in charge, which could be a dangerous thing. I don't know. I'm glad to have you all here. I hope you enjoyed your Sukkot. I know I did. It was actually really a special Sukkot for, for my family. Unfortunately, they weren't all there, but uh, we, we really had a good time. I think what really struck me about Sukkot this year, I, we were at the Lion and Lamb Sukkot in Chandler, Oklahoma. So there, you know, there's quite a few people there, but I, I spent a lot of time just talking to people and just listening to them. And you know, you come to realize that everybody is dealing with stuff uh, to one degree or another. And some of the stories that they shared were just really heartbreaking. And it just uh, propelled me to pray more. And we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. The, the context here of, as priests, what are we supposed to be doing? So again, just listening, not you know giving all the kinds of advice, but just hearing their heart and realizing that really there's nobody that's immune to any of this stuff. Also, what happened around this particular Sukkot, there was, there was a lot of deaths. Uh, a good friend of mine lost her son. Uh, the minute I got home from Sukkot, I found out that my cousin had passed away. We have another good friend that lost their baby daughter after 27 days. I, I don't really want to put out the names here, but just some very tragic things happened at the very same time. And, you know, our first question always is, you know, why God, you know, why is this happening? Uh, we want to understand suffering, and honestly, I don't think it's even possible. So the question is, it's it's not about understanding suffering. It's about, we, we really need to know how God thinks about things as we are suffering. How is What's his view on it uh, when we are going through all these trials and tribulations? It's really, really about trusting him. And so I was really, it was a, quite a dichotomy for this particular Sukkot, that there was this great joy in visiting with people and spending time with family and at the same time understanding that many people were dealing, really dealing with some tragic, some tragedy in their lives. And so again, we just need to, we need to think on how, what God thinks about all this and, and put it back into that perspective. So I, I mentioned just a minute ago the idea of you know the role of priests, and so as we've been talking about returning to Eden and and all the implications of what that means, uh, we've talked quite a bit about Adam and his role in the garden as priest and king. We've talked quite a bit as of his role as king, but what about his role as priest? Remember, I I have shared in the past that. There's a specific word that's used when Adam, uh, God rested Adam in the garden, and that's not an insignificant word. It comes from the Hebrew word nach, which you might recognize Noah. That's the same root, Noah, the one who would bring comfort um, and actually repentance to the people. But even more so, when, when the king would sit on the throne, he would bring rest to the sphere over which he was ruling. So we see that God has rested Adam in the garden to rule over and to have dominion, of course, and to spread the kingdom throughout the earth. So again, we've looked at king, but let's let's talk a little bit more about priests. Scripture tells us in Exodus and in Revelation that we are supposed to be a kingdom of priests. So if we are 
as Adam, who was the image bearer of God, and we are image bearers of God, then that role needs to function as well. Now, before I get into that, uh, one of the things that I was I was given the great honor of sharing on the big stage at uh, Lion and Lamb this year at Sukkot, and one of the things I brought up, which I think bears repeating and probably us thinking about a little more than we have, we see in the Hebrew roots uh, a rise of teachers, and I believe that's because when the Hebrew roots thing, its emphasis is on knowledge, the response to that is more teachers coming in to explain to us or to talk about knowledge. But I think this has come to a dangerous point in that it has sabotaged what is talked about in the New Testament, and that is the fivefold ministry the prophets and shepherds and evangelists and apostles, etc. It, it's not, it, it's dangerous really to have this emphasis. It, it, the, the Hebrew roots has become top heavy with teachers, and I don't believe this is healthy. Many of them are basically self proclaimed, self ordained teachers who've kind of come out of nowhere and just declared themselves a teacher. And how hard is it to put up a website and go on Facebook and yada yada, just talk teacher? You know, and suddenly everyone's a Torah teacher. And what I what I shared on the big stage was, in my life personally, I spent close to 30 years. I was 20. 20 of that was in the church, learning and growing, being taught, training, mentoring, and functioning in the trenches before God ever elevated me to become a teacher. In fact, for me, it's only been the last eight years out of a total of 38 years in which I've been given a national stage to speak on. And way too many, way too many self-ordained teachers who have not risen through the ranks within a congregation that gives them, that holds them to account. This is a huge problem. And I think it's, uh, I think we need to keep our eye out. I think it's important to consider where these teachers are coming from, uh, what, what is their history, what is their character. Has there been any kind of, uh, mentoring process that they've been under? Have they been held to account? Have they been walking through the, the life in a congregation, which is no small thing. That's a difficult thing to walk through in the relationships. But you know, you got to just have the time of being a servant, if that means cleaning toilets or whatever on earth that means. You have to have that period of serving in order for God to raise you up to be a leader. So I just a word of caution, um, I, I, I still believe with all my heart the teachers need to be held accountable and connected to, in some way to a congregation. The biggest concern I have in all of this is the lack of shepherds or the lack of support for shepherds. And in shepherds I'm saying those who are offering pastoral care, uh, the, the ones that are, are pastoring and are helping to tend and care for the flock, when they're wounded and down and they need healing and ministry and their families and their marriages, etc. Um, you know, when a teacher blows into town, they're not really there to, to help, uh, help these people grow over a long period of time in the trenches. And so I've been very concerned that the role of shepherd has, has, be, has, been, uh, has been compromised because of our elevation and exaltation of teachers. Again, I see it as being very top-heavy. Uh, to be a teacher is a very high calling, but if you don't go through the refiner's fire, 
uh, I doubt you're ever going to be a particularly good teacher because the bottom line is it's all about character. So I'm, I'd like to just mention a couple of things that we see Paul and Timothy addressing. Now this is dealing with leaders in the congregation, but this is no different for, the, for those that are teachers as well, that, that they need to be above reproach, uh, they, their lives need to show moderation and, and temp, be temperate, self-controlled, they're to be respected in the community, uh, they, should, they should be hospitable, they should be gentle. They should not be given to quarrels. The, Timothy is very clear they're not to be quarrelsome people. And there's a whole lot of quarrelsome people on the internet. In fact, I would recommend staying away from all of that stuff. Uh, they shouldn't be a lover of money. They need to learn. They need to manage their family well to, to be of good reputation and worthy of that kind of respect in the commun community, not pursuing dishonest gain. Uh, exercising a kind word, because remember the Bible says a gentle answer or a kind word is the thing that will turn away wrath. They need to be, they need to show that there, that theirs is a hand, a helping hand to those that are the least in the kingdom. They need to walk with humility and really they need to esteem others better than themselves. Bottom line for me is they need to be a team player and I don't really see a lot of that. Now, I have, you know, I've been a teacher for a very long time. I actually work with um, the wit Tomadine, Rico Cortez. I know you guys are familiar with him. And he's been mentoring a number of young, young guys. And I have tried to help in that role, so to put myself in a place to be held to account and also to help mentor some of these young guys that are coming up. So, you know, just a word of admonition here, a word to consider. And I, and I hope you will. And, and if you are in a congregation, you know, I always say the hardest job in America is being a pastor. They, you know, marriages fall apart for pastors as the pressure that comes to bear on them. They're required to have the fivefold ministry just in them, and that's just not the case. So support your pastor and, and leader and rabbi or however that pans out for you with, with everything you have got to uphold them and pray for them and help them to uh, to be the shepherds over the flock. Now part of the message I gave at Sukkot was uh, I titled it The Invisible Kingdom. And as we talked about uh, the garden, Eden, and the field, and we mentioned that these this, the picture is of a mountain, and of course is a picture of a temple, and that one sphere is an overlay of another. So it's not like you have, you know, the field is over here and the other two spheres are not functioning. It's that all three are functioning at the same time. So we talked about Eden being at the top of the mountain, the Holy of Holies, the garden being down the mountain, the place where the, uh, the elders and the administrators would serve, and then the bottom of the mountain or sort of outside in the inner, outside the courtyard would be the field area. So each one of these spheres is alive and well and functioning at the same time the other one. So the focus, uh, the garden has been, I would consider, would be the invisible kingdom because we can't see it, but it is there. And the way the garden moves or how, how that sphere advances is through the human heart. And I would maintain that the, the heart uh, the heart of a human is actually the throne room. That's that's where the deity, if you will, sits on the throne, and that begs the question of which God is sitting on your throne. Uh, the kingdom is invisible because 
it's only the Father that sees the true thoughts and intent and motivations of your heart. You know them, and sometimes we refuse to even look at them. But no one else knows. Not your spouse, not your kids, your parents. Nobody knows truly the thoughts, intents, and motivations of your heart. So the, the, the kingdom moves invisibly, if you will, through the heart. In scripture, we know that hearts are compared to soil. So again, going back to the garden that Adam was supposed to cultivate and work the soil. So seed could be planted and cultivated and bear much fruit. And so the kingdom being filled with seed could be described as a kingdom that grows very slowly and in good soil. And so that's that's kind of what I want to hit on now. The idea that how, how will the kingdom spread and how do we make soil that's good? And this takes us back to the work of the priests. So again, we are called the kingdom of priests. And our job is to work the soil of the garden, but in ap making application for today is to work the soil that is of the human heart in order to produce life. Now we talked about how the world is in a state of chaos when the, the king, the righteous king, is not seated on the throne. So when a righteous king came to, to town and he took his place on the throne, what you experienced in that empire was blessing and fertility and prosperity life coming forth from the land to the people it would uh, the king's rule a righteous king's rule would bring order and stability and again would spread out to the empire the key hallmarks of a righteous king was one who exercised judge justice and righteousness so those will become part of the work that we do as king and now we need to look at the work that we do uh, if you will as priests so Priests really have the same kind of function, that they would bring order to the sacred space, that would, would be the, gar the garden pattern, through acts of service. So the priests were responsible to serve that function. So if we jump forward to the, the uh, Second Temple period, first century, we ha that's where we have a lot of inf more information about what the priests did. We don't really have a whole lot leading up to that. But the priests specifically worked in the place called the holy place which I liken to the garden and in that place uh, they were responsible to uh, trim the wicks of the menorah and make sure there was enough oil there was always one of the, the wicks one of the lamps of the seven branch menorah was always to be burning the western lamp and the the priests would go in there in the morning and the evening and they would service the menorah so that the light would the eternal light would go forth so that was one of their functions in that sphere in that space. Also they were responsible for the altar of incense so there was a whole procedure that went on as two priests actually came in at the same time into the holy place. One would serve the menorah, the other the altar of incense. He had kind of a bucket with him. He had to go over to the altar, get all the ashes off the altar in order to service it and put uh, put the new incense on there. And then of course we have the table of the showbread, the shulchan lech, lechem hapanim and that was required to service daily. You remember they had 12 loaves that would sit on that table. So these, in broad terms, these were the specific functions of the priests in the time of the Second Temple period. So now we have to kind of bring it back to something that makes more sense to us, that how are we as priests, how do we serve those sort of same three elements that we bring the light 
of the world to the world by making the kingdom extend. We we feed the world through the bread of life. We see from the uh, the Shulchan Lachman Hapanim, and then the the sweet smelling incense, which is likened to the prayers of the saints. But really, it's likened to the prayers of the priests. That those prayers go up like a cloud of smoke at the um, at the altar. Now, I just I want to go back for one second. Um, and I kind of was thinking about priests in the garden and acts of service. And uh, again, touching back to the fivefold ministry, it occurred to me. So we, you know, we have past, we have pre, uh, the priests, we have teachers and prophets and shepherds and evangelists and apostles. And, and so, what it, what is their role in the congregation? If the congregation is supposed to look like the garden sphere, which is the holy place, and so. Again, priests cultivate and work the soil. They scatter seed. Part of that includes prayer, intercession, and the service of the furniture. So I was thinking teachers, uh, what do they do? They teach cultivation techniques for the people. So the, the pruning techniques so that the, they don't kill the plant. Uh, adding soil amendments, the things that were going to help the seed grow so that you don't want the seed to burn up. You don't want to put too much of one thing in there. And so this is the sort of role of teachers in the garden. The prophets, one of the, one of the best definitions of the prophet, Navi, is to bring forth inner fruit. So that's the job of the prophet. Shepherds, I would maintain, are leaders to help produce the best fruit possible for those in that sphere. And evangelists are ones that continually go out and scatter seed and they also help with the harvest of the fruit. So you can see the correlation here between those ministries and the congregation all related to uh, garden activity. So again, the priests, uh, they were to guard the earth, serve the earth, keep order and extend the boundaries. They were image bearers of God. They were to be mediators between God and humanity in order to expand his presence. And when you consider a priest, so you don't just show up one day and, and do the job. You don't even know how to do the job. You've got to train. It's learned. It's a craft. The priests had to practice their craft. It's no different for us if we were to be a kingdom of priests. Nobody knows how to do this until you get in there and do it and learn it and practice it and be well prepared to minister. We don't want to go out there if we're not prepared. And so, in it, and through the priests, I believe that's how the invisible kingdom is re, is revealed. So, just acts of kindness and service, and we talked earlier about just responding gently, being temperate and moderate, and being of good character and reputation. These are the things that re, that make an invisible kingdom visible to the world. That's our job. We are to fill the earth with the glory of God. And I dare say we are responsible to, we participate in the repair and the rejuvenation of all of human society. Honestly, if we don't do our job, this whole thing collapses into anarchy. The only reason it's even holding together is because those that are his priests are out there serving and doing good works and taking care of the poor and the widows and the orphans and feeding those that are starving and helping those that are suffering. If you took all that out, we would be in total and utter chaos. And so these are all the aspects. Again, our task was to uh, preserve the sacred space. Now, the sacred space, if you want to 
get it, boil it down is really the whole of the earth because God gave that sphere to Adam to rule and reign over. And so as image bearers in the same vein as Adam, we are ruling and reigning over the earth and we are supposed to preserve his sacred space. And we do this by acting as priests and kings, but by priests uh, we have a responsibility in that regard, again, to re we are the only way this invisible kingdom is going to be made visible out to the world because the world is desperate for answers. The world is in a state of total chaos and instability and disorder. And so that is our role to bring order to that sphere. So we are, in part, we instruct people uh, on what's required for the sacred space to function properly. So in the temple, the priests were responsible. We have the laws of ritual impurity. How were you, um, how were you restored so you could enter back into the sacred space to do your job? And of course, it didn't mean you were in sin. It just mean, meant that you had to go through a, a method of sanctification in order to, uh, and to re, uh, return to service. Uh, for the priests in the second temple period, for example, all the offerings had to be done in a certain way, in an appropriate manner, in order to preserve that sanctity. They were responsible for guarding that space so that unclean things didn't enter into that space. And I think that's, uh, that, well, that, can, that application can be made for us today as well. And really in terms of our own selves is making sure that we don't allow unclean things into our sacred space because the Bible does talk about the body being a temple. And so the same things apply. We allow uh, inappropriate things, unclean things into our space through what we see, through what we hear, through what we say. Uh, all, those are, those are, we've got to guard our gates, if you will and keep out that which is going to corrupt our temple. We serve as mediators, so we go before the Father on behalf of those who don't know him or those who are struggling. Just as the priests entered into the holy place and to the altar service and served the altar of incense, that is our job. Um, we are to, uh, this was a way we would approach God and we would mediate for those outside the sacred sphere. That's what the priests were responsible to do. And so we would maintain order. Um, there is a sort of an equilibrium that happens within the sacred sphere, and we're responsible for maintaining that. Um, this is the priestly role, and this is part of our function. Uh, and going back to the garden for, for a second, um, I read this from, I think it was N.T. Wright, who said that it was, within the DNA, DNA of his image bearers to plant gardens and create communities. And I thought that was pretty, I mean, that kind of puts it all, encapsulates it well, to plant the gardens and all. I just talked about the fivefold ministry in relationship to the garden, all that that meant. But also, part of planting gardens was creating communities. And by creating communities, these, uh, these roles and functions could thrive Without a, without a community, you know, we end up with lone rangers. So part of our image-bearing experience has to do with, with that as well. Um, the service, uh, the, the priest ministers today from the garden, the holy place, that's the application, and he takes that ministry out into the field. 
to influence the field. That's that's basically our job. And uh, there's so much more I could talk about in this, but I just I hope that you see my heart in this. That what priests do has an effect on the whole world. And you know, Adam and Eve they were priests just like Israel priests, and they flunked. And so God has given us an opportunity to move the garden and extend it and bring healing and restoration out there as a vocation of priests and image bearers. And all of that, of course, uh, in the light of sanctification and holiness. So the priestly service in the ancient world was concerned with restoring order, with bringing holiness, purity, and life to the sacred precincts. And that work of cultivating the garden, translated from the Hebrew avodah, comes from avad, which means to serve, and so avodah is a service. And so that service functions in the context of the Holy Sphere or the temple or however you want to look at it. And so protecting and guarding that sphere uh, meant everything, but as well God sends us out to expand that sphere. Now this is, uh, I thought this was interesting, this was from H.N. Uh, Wallace and in speaking of the priests, to gain, the gaining of divine qualities of life is associated with priestly duties such as eating or drinking and part of this, uh, now he, he put it in terms of magical powers to bring forth this gift, but I would say the temple was all about eating and drinking and performing the service in the way that God called us to do it. And so this is how the kingdom is expanded through this sort of thing. So I, you know, I'm winding down here, I've only got a couple minutes left. And uh, again, I just want to reiterate, if you can just grab a hold of that and understand your position as image bearer and priest and how it means everything to holding this whole whole thing together, that God has called you to serve in this regard. And so hopefully you'll see that your prayers, I know sometimes, and I'm, I'm guilty of this as well, somebody will tell me something and I'll, I'll yeah, I tell them, yeah, I'll, I'll put that on my prayer list, I'll keep you in my prayers. And then I forget and I feel terrible and guilty and I know you've all had that experience. Usually what I try to do is pray right then and there. Once I've prayed once, then I'll pray again. But the value and the power of prayer to intercede on behalf of those who don't know how to pray or don't approach is the key to, I believe, to the restoration of this whole thing. Anyways, I'm just going to close it out there. Um, thanks for joining me and letting me rant all by myself this uh, particular Wednesday on Returning to Eden. Uh, it's going to be a little bit hit and miss in the next couple of weeks with Jeff and I, but we do plan to have some interesting guests coming up. Um, we're working on getting my friend Jane, who's currently in Israel, getting her on the program to share some of the things that happened to her with the hurricane and her escape to Puerto Rico and then her escape to Israel. And we've got some other special guests that, uh, that we're going to have on the program as well. So thanks for joining me. Um, again, I appreciate you listening to me rant. <laughs> Hopefully you, this is ministered to you. And I will see you next time. Shalom. 